0: Okay, three, two, one, oh Oh my goodness! Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Shomler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Monday, September seventeenth, and uh, I, I gotta say, for I'm at this frustrating point of the season. It's, it's the fall is coming, and the weather's changing. And I, no matter how much water i drink no matter how much chapstick i put on my lips i cannot get my lips to stop being dry i I just can't can't fight it it's frustrating um i'm really excited we have a great show today i want to start with the packers and the vikings i i don't know i uh i love kirk cousins i've been a fan of kirk cousins since he was at michigan state I I really like who he is. He seems genuine. He seems like a real, authentic guy. I like him in interviews. I watched his documentary all about the free agent process. I mean, honestly, Kirk Cousins reminds me of my younger brother. My younger brother passed away in 2016. They have a similar like, tender heart. They're just good people, it seems like to me. Uh, I love Kirk Cousins. So keep that in mind as I say what I'm about to say next. This will make people angry I've already gotten people mad at me today while I shared my opinion about this um, yesterday the Packers and the Vikings tied and Kirk Cousins did not win now you can add context if you want you can talk about how you know the Laquan Treadwell pass bounced off of his hands that was intercepted that's the reason why Kirk Cousins has an interception on his stat line you can talk about how the Vikings kicker went over three he's now he got fired actually today he had two missed field goals in overtime. You can add all the context you want. I could, you could even say, oh, well, Kirk Cousins threw an interception that was actually called back. That would have cost the Vikings the game. Um, so Kirk Cousins had a great stat line. Kirk Cousins was 35 for 48, 425 yards passing, four touchdowns, one interception, had a 73% completion percentage. The more context I hear about the Vikings tie game with the Packers, the more I actually get discouraged if I'm a Vikings fan. The more I hear about how well the Vikings did on the stat line, the more I go, oh, that's not good. Because the Vikings have a better roster. The Vikings have a better team, a better defense. Their quarterback, Kirk Cousins, played incredible. And despite all of that, the Vikings still could not beat Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Remember, the Vikings paid Kirk Cousins a ton of money. They could have gotten Case Keenum back. They could have brought back Case Keenum, who's way, way cheaper. One, by the way, too. But the Vikings paid Kirk Cousins to upgrade at quarterback. And they were hoping to beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and win more in the playoffs. That is why the Vikings brought in Kirk Cousins. You can say whatever you want. You can list all the reasons why the Packers and the Vikings tied. But they still didn't beat Aaron Rodgers. The Vikings could not beat Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers yesterday. You know, If you go to Amazon.com, you can pick two-day shipping. That means they send you a package in two days. But you have to pay extra. You have to pay extra for two-day shipping unless you pay for Amazon Prime. But either way, you're paying for it. I live in eastern Washington. I live in a small, remote town. And I heard guys this weekend complaining about Amazon. They said, sometimes we pay for two-day shipping, and our packages come in three or four days. Yesterday, the Vikings uh, tied the Packers. The Vikings and the Packers tied. They did not win. Vikings fans did not get what they paid for. Vikings fans. The Vikings paid for Kirk Cousins to come in and beat the Packers, and it did not happen. Add context all you want. Give me all these stats. Talk about Laquan Treadwell. Talk about the missed field goals. Say whatever you want. But when you tell me that Kirk Cousins played incredible and the Vikings did not win, that's actually more disappointing. Because again, the Vikings had a better roster, better defense, great coach. They paid Kirk Cousins a ton of money to play quarterback for them. He played great, and yet they still could not beat the Packers. They tied. It's not super discouraging. And again, Kirk Cousins played great. I'm not saying it's awesome. I'm happy for him. But Kirk Cousins is driving a Ferrari, and Aaron Rodgers is driving a Honda Civic. The Ferrari should beat the Honda Civic every single time by a lot, and it wasn't enough yesterday. I mean, again, Kirk Cousins played great, four touchdowns, 35 for 48, only one interception, 425 yards passing. But at the end of the day, that still was not enough for the Vikings to beat the Packers. If you're a Vikings fan, I would feel incredibly discouraged today. We did all this stuff, we upgraded, we spent all this money, a dime, but bang, 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 I did all this work, not enough. That would be a punch in the gut if I was a Vikings fan today. All right, we have a huge show today, I'm really excited, I want to talk about Eli Manning coming up. Uh, I think Eli Manning can actually still play in the NFL, I've been really hard on him all all preseason, and I was wrong, I just was wrong, I'll get into that in a minute. I want to talk about Dak Prescott, we'll talk about Patrick Mahomes. I want to discuss the Josh Gordon trade down the road. We'll talk about Blake Bortles, who is really impressing me actually so far this year. I think the Dolphins are a playoff team. We'll talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. And at the end of the show, we'll talk about the most hilarious story I have seen maybe in years. I mean, it was it really made me laugh. Remember, you can't subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. I want to do something in the future. I really want to stream this show on Twitch. That's a dream of mine. I get people asking that all the time. Do you do it live? I I don't. I'm sorry. I wish I could. Um, And I want to have more cool guests. I want to have more time to do stuff like that. Help me grow this show. Tell your friends about it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. If you want those cool perks, if you want this show on Twitch, if you want me to have better guests, yada, yada, help me grow by sharing this with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. All right. Um, the Cowboys and the Giants played last night on Sunday night football. And the Cowboys won 20-13. to 13. I want to tell you what I saw between the Cowboys and the Giants. Um, I saw a really bad Giants team. I saw a Giants team that just, ugh. Bad defense. Bad offensive line play. And I had two thoughts watching the Cowboys-Giants game last night. Surprising thoughts. Uh, one of them was surprising. One of them... It's something I've been harping on for a long time. The first one is this. Eli Manning doesn't suck. Eli Manning actually played really great. He just didn't have a lot of help around him. The other thought is one I've been saying for a long time. The Giants should have drafted Sam Darnold. Or really any quarterback. They should have drafted a quarterback. Because it was apparent last night, oh, the Giants aren't good enough to turn this around in two years and take advantage of Eli Manning's last remaining years in the NFL. Eli Manning can still play, but his team isn't good enough to win around him. That is like a punch in the gut if you're a Giants fan. The Giants should have drafted a quarterback and entered a total rebuild mode. They didn't. They committed to Eli Manning. It appears like a mistake. Now, the Giants aren't very good, but that is not Eli Manning's fault. I want to very clearly reiterate that. I owe Eli Manning and all the people who supported Eli Manning an apology. I was wrong. Against the Cowboys, Eli Manning played really well. Eli Manning showed, oh, hey, he can still play quarterback at a really high level in the NFL. The problem is Eli Manning does not have the help that he needs. I was wrong. Uh, Eli Manning, I think, can still win games in the NFL. He just can't do it with the Giants. He cannot win with the Giants' offensive line. I watched Carson Palmer of Football Life last night. I, I laid in bed. Watch it on YouTube. Um, near the end of Carson Palmer's career, everybody was ready for him to retire. Everybody said, Carson Palmer's done. He's got to leave. And Cincinnati walked away from it. Cincinnati traded him away to the Raiders. Carson Palmer's side of that story was, I wasn't getting the help I deserved, that I wanted. I kept going to the owner. He kept refusing to give me what I wanted. He asked to be traded. He got traded to the Raiders. Lo and behold, a couple years later, Carson Palmer found himself in Arizona, had a resurgence in his career and played really well. And the point is this, people called for an end to Carson Palmer's career far too early. He had good football left in him, and he wasn't getting the help he needed either in Cincinnati or in Oakland. It is the exact same thing with Eli Manning. People often criticize Eli Manning for his lack of mobility. That is a stupid argument. I, 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 I think I've even been a victim of believing that. Eli Manning does not need to run outside the pocket. Tom Brady doesn't run around and get outside the pocket. Drew Brees doesn't run to the outside of the pocket. They slide in the inside of the pocket. They step up. They move around within the pocket. Eli Manning can do that, except he can't in New York. He could if he had a good offensive line, but he does not have a good enough offensive line. Last night against the Cowboys, Eli Manning was constantly under pressure. He was sacked six times. And it wasn't... So Jimmy Garoppolo got sacked six times because he was holding on to the football too long. No, Eli Manning never had a chance on most plays. His offensive line kept missing assignments. It wasn't because they were getting beat physically. They just missed blocks. They would go to block the wrong guy. They'd let a guy go free in Eli Manning's face. It was very, very poor offensive line play. Eli Manning doesn't suck. Now, he's not Aaron Rodgers, but Eli Manning could still win games in the NFL if he had the help he needed on the offensive line. Against the Cowboys last night, Eli Manning was 33 for 44, had 279 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions. And what's more incredible is he did all of that while being sacked six times. Yes, he had a fumble, but again, he was sacked six times. He had a guy in his face almost every play. He rarely had a chance, but when he did, he played really well. He threw back shoulder throws, he looked really good on play action. He threw the ball well down the sideline. Eli Manning can still play. That's what I saw last night against the Cowboys. Eli Manning's not a bum. He could win if he had the help he deserved. He went to the Jaguars. He could win games. The problem is Eli Manning is not given the offensive line he needs. He is not given being given the help he deserves in order to win games in New York. As long as that offensive line does not get better in New York... Eli Manning cannot win, and it's not his fault. I was wrong, and it's disappointing. Eli Manning has good football left in him, and the Giants are squandering it because their offensive line is not any good. How about Dak Prescott? I talked about Eli Manning in, uh, in length. at length. Let's talk about Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback stats, looked all right last night against the New York Giants. Good, not great. Dak Prescott was 16 for 25, passing at 160 yards, one touchdown, zero picks, and more interestingly, zero zero interceptions, zero turnovers all around. Now, Dak Prescott had this really long touchdown to start the game, and it looked really good. On paper, it was like, ooh, what a nice throw. It looked good, but it really wasn't. If you look closely, um, I don't know. I think Dak Prescott is kind of like a McDonald's commercial. My dad has been a food writer in Portland for many, many years. I've gone on many adventures with my dad uh, as a food writer. You know, we went and had a bunch of food. I've had a lot of good food in my life, a lot of bad food in my life. Um, and the number one takeaway I got from growing up with my dad as a food writer, going on adventures with my dad eating food, um, my number one takeaway is that pictures of hamburgers are often, often false advertising. The burger looks really, really great in the picture. And then you hold it in your hand and you go, Oh, mm." That is not what I wanted. That's not what I expected it to look like. That's not what I expected at all. McDonald's commercials are especially guilty of this. McDonald's commercials, you know what I'm talking about. You see a Big Mac. Oh, man, it looks fantastic. You just want to eat it. Then you hold it, hold it in your hand and you go, mm, this really is not what I was advertised. Dak Prescott is the exact same thing. Dak Prescott looks the part. He looks so good. And I've liked Dak Prescott to this point. He's big. He's a grown up. He's got broad shoulders. He always looks the part. Dak Prescott always says the right thing at the right time. He's an adult. He's got maturity. I like it. Dak Prescott looks the part. But again, like those hamburger commercials, if you dive deep, if you hold it in your hands, if you look closely, you'll realize that Dak Prescott is not what's being advertised. So I want to talk about two plays Dak Prescott made yesterday uh, that are kind of a sign, oh, hmm, The Cowboys are really sheltering Dak Prescott. They are really hiding a lot of his flaws and a lot of his weaknesses. So let's start with that long touchdown. Dak Prescott, early in the game, I think it was like his second play of the game, threw a long touchdown pass to Tavon Austin down the left sideline. It looked beautiful. It was play action. He threw a really pretty pass right in his hands, right in stride, touchdown. But here's what actually happened on that play. The Giants rolled down a safety and coverage, which means they had eight people in the box, eight people ready to play the run. Both wide receivers on the outside had man-to-man coverage with a safety over the top helping out if like, one of their receivers went deep. The safety's responsibility on this play was to help a defender if a guy went vertical. So guess what happens? Man-to-man coverage, Tavon Austin beats the corner. He actually beat his uh, judge. Norris Jenkins got beat really, really badly on the play. And number 35, the Giants' safety, Curtis Riley, completely fails to get over the top and help Janoris Jenkins. It looked like a really great throw from Dak Prescott, but if you look closely, you'll realize it was simply horrible defense. Bad, bad defense. Janoris Jenkins got beat. Curtis Riley didn't help over the top like he was supposed to. We shouldn't praise Dak for this throw. Like, congratulations, man. You did your job. For doing what's expected of you, we should not celebrate. It was a busted coverage. The guy was wide open. Dak Prescott simply delivered the ball. I mean, nothing impressive to me. It wasn't like an amazing read. It wasn't an amazing throw. He executed what he was supposed to. Now, later in the game, there was a more concerning play. So that was false advertising. It looked like Dak Prescott dominated on that deep throw. Really, it was just bad defense. But how about later in the game? Ball's on the 20-yard line. The Cowboys are in scoring position in the red zone. And the Cowboys called a play where there was only one option for Dak Prescott to throw to. So three receivers lined up, one on the left, two on the right. The guy on the left doesn't even go out for a pass. He stopped, He turns and stops and looks at Dak Prescott. He's not an option to throw to. And the outside receiver on the bottom, on the right side, the bottom of the screen right side if you're Dak Prescott, makes a beeline inside to set a pick for Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley goes underneath and goes vertical. Right away from the beginning, this play was not going to work. The Giants played it really well. They double teamed Cole Beasley. And there are two really big problems with this play. First of all is you can tell right away this play is not going to work. There's a safety basically over the top of the number two receiver, over the top of Cole Beasley, plus another defender, plus a corner. It's three on two. There's no way this play is going to be successful. They play his own coverage. And guess what happens? Cole Beasley gets double teamed as he runs to the end zone. And despite all this, what makes it even worse? Before the play happened, Dak Prescott should recognize the coverage. Don't run that play. Check to something else. Don't This is not going to work at all. You're setting yourself up for failure. So already Dak Prescott should not have run the play. But even worse, he compounded the mistake by trying to throw the ball into double coverage. Dak Prescott got lucky. Nothing bad happened. Simple incomplete pass. They scored later on the drive. But in reality, it was a very concerning play because it showed Dak Prescott's inability to A, pre-snap read a defense, and B, make a good decision to throw the ball. It's so weird to me, this play. I don't understand why you are calling a play for an NFL quarterback where there's only one option for Dak Prescott to throw to. Is it either it's the Giants don't trust Dak Prescott or they're saying, okay, we're going to call this play. You can't change it. Like, that's my question is why wasn't the play changed before running it? Why pre-snap did Dak Prescott not go, hmm, we have a bad matchup. This isn't going to work. How about we change the play? Is it because the Giants didn't trust him to change the play? Is it because Dak Prescott didn't recognize the coverage, which is even more scary? Either option's not good. And what you see is Dak Prescott is not good enough. Dak Prescott's stat line looked great, right? He, he was 16 for 25 Zero turnovers, one touchdown, had a 64% completion percentage. Everything on paper looks really good from Dak Prescott. But when you look closely at his performance against the New York Giants yesterday, you'll realize, oh, Dak Prescott's basically Andy Dalton. He needs a great running game. He needs a lot of help from everybody. around. I mean, he's not even a good Andy Dalton. He's like a poor man's Andy Dalton. Dak Prescott needs a lot of help from everybody around him in order to be successful. And (laughs) And Dak Prescott was helped by a Giants defensive game plan, which made no sense to me. It was baffling. The Giants had no pass rush. They often only rushed four people. They only didn't put very many guys in the box. All week leading up to this game, my expectation was the Giants were going to try to stop the run and force Dak Prescott to beat them in man coverage or in cover one with one high safety over the top. It's like they gave up one bad play with bad coverage and Giants completely abandoned their game plan. And throughout the game... The Giants only rushed four guys. They were not giving pressure on Dak Prescott. They were—it's like they were afraid of his arm, which makes no sense because Dak Prescott's never shown the ability to win without a running game. A lot of Dak Prescott's success against the Giants was because the Giants were poorly coached on defense. They had a bad game plan that didn't make any sense, and they didn't execute very well at all. Look, I'm not Dak Prescott was fine. He, he read the defense really well. He hung in the pocket really well. He did a good against, job against his own defense. But the truth is, Dak Prescott, mm, he's not as good as he looked. And the Giants mask a lot of Dak Prescott's limitations. Excuse me. The Cowboys mask a lot of Dak Prescott's limitations. But with simple play calling and running the ball really well, a lot of play action, it looks good on paper. Dak Prescott looks like, oh, he's fine. Reality is he needs a lot of help. And he's kind of like that McDonald's commercial. It looks really good if you just look at the picture or you just look at the ad. But the minute you inspect it closely, you realize, oh, that's false advertising, and that is Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott may look good. His stat line might be awesome. If you look closely, you'll realize, oh, Dak Prescott actually isn't very good. He's getting help from his team, and they're masking a lot of his limitations. Okay, now here's the exciting part from yesterday. The Kansas City Chiefs beat the Steelers 42-37 to on Sunday. It was a really fun game, fun shootout, um, and man, it was awesome. Now, here's the narrative I've noticed today. It seems like everybody's talking about how the Steelers are just terrible. Oh, my goodness, the Steelers can't make any tackles. All I'm hearing is how bad the Steelers' defense is. Can we not give any credit to Patrick Mahomes? Can we not give any credit to the Chiefs, like a little bit? How about the fact that the Chiefs just dominated the Steelers? Patrick Mahomes was incredible against the Steelers on Sunday. He was twenty-eight for 23 for 28 passing, had 326 yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions. That is unbelievable. You know what the story is here? The story from the Chiefs and Steelers game is this. In the same day that Patrick Mahomes won the game and had six touchdowns, Alex Smith and the Redskins lost 21-9 to the Colts. And Alex Smith had zero touchdowns. In fact, the entire Redskins offense had zero touchdowns on Sunday. Redskins kicked three field goals. They couldn't get the ball into the end zone. Patrick Mahomes had six touchdowns by himself. Why is that so amazing? If you know, you know. If you don't, you don't. The Chiefs traded Alex Smith to the Redskins this offseason. Alex Smith is the former quarterback for the Chiefs. And... This offseason, the Chiefs took a risk and said, we're going to trade our stable, safe franchise quarterback, Alex Smith, and commit to this unknown second-year quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. Here's what's so cool about the Chiefs and the Steelers game. If Alex Smith was still the quarterback in Kansas City, the Chiefs would not have won yesterday against the Steelers. Everyone's talking about the Steelers' defense. Oh, the Steelers' defense can't make any tackles. La-la-la. They're acting like the Steelers didn't put up 37 points. You realize Big Ben yesterday threw for 452 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs quarterback, outdueled a Hall of Fame quarterback, Big Ben, for the Steelers. I went on a date on Sunday. I went on a date on, excuse me, on Saturday. And the girl I went on a date with had a, a tattoo on her arm. It said, A ship in the harbor is safe. But that's not what ships were built for. And the reason why this spoke to me is because she talked about how she believes in taking risks. And I was like, oh, this girl's a keeper. This girl's really cool. Because one of my core values is you have to take risks in life. Jeff Bezos from Amazon. You realize Jeff Bezos is, first of all, he's the richest man in the entire world. And his company, Amazon, didn't make money for years. People made fun of Amazon. It's just a dumb online bookstore. (laughs) He proved everybody wrong. He took a risk. He bet on himself. It worked. Bill Gates dropped out of Harvard. He took a risk. His his risk worked out. You have to take risks in order to win. In order to win big. The Chiefs have big goals, high expectations. They want to win a Super Bowl. They took a chance on Patrick Mahomes. They traded their safe starting quarterback, Alex Smith. They said, nope, we got to take a chance with Patrick Mahomes. And it worked out. Remember, Alex Smith got the Chiefs to the playoffs and they were like, "Yeah." We like Patrick Mahomes. We believe in this guy. They had the guts to take a chance on Patrick Mahomes. That is the story from the Chiefs win last. Yes, Patrick Mahomes is dominating the NFL right now. He had six touchdowns on Sunday, but the narrative is this. Not only did Patrick Mahomes have six touchdowns, but the Chiefs' old quarterback had none. Couldn't put the ball in the end zone. There is no way the Chiefs would have won that game last year if Alex Smith was their quarterback. Patrick Mahomes is incredible. And you should all stop talking about the Steelers' defense. Applaud the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs were willing to take a risk on Patrick Mahomes. That is the narrative here that you should be talking about. Patrick Mahomes, oh my goodness. I, I took somewhat of a chance. I said, yeah, they're going to go 11-5. and five. Patrick Mahomes is going to do really well. I should have been more bullish. I should have taken more of a stance. Patrick Mahomes is un. Believable. He's ahead of where we thought he was mentally. He looks really good at line of scrimmage, changing plays and checking to the right protections. Patrick Mahomes is going to dominate the NFL and it is just the beginning. This is so much fun to watch and I can't wait to watch him down the road. Oh man, Uh, it's, I, I just love it. The Chiefs took a chance with Patrick Mahomes. They believed in him and it really paid off yesterday. Before we take a break, I want to talk about a controversial play from the Vikings and... Packers game. So there was, again, I I repeat this, there was a controversial play in the Packers-Vikings game on Sunday. Kirk Cousins threw an interception that would have ended the game. Should have been game over. The Packers should have won. And the interception got called back because Clay Matthews was called for roughing the passer. Clay Matthews picked up Kirk Cousins and landed on him. So I'm going to show you what Clay Matthews had to say about that. Because Clay Matthews was not happy. I don't know what else to do. I mean, I, I don't know. You let me know. Let me tell me. Did I did I put pressure on him? Because I, I, you know, I thought I hit him within, uh, you know, his, his waist to chest. I got my head across, put my hands down, and to call it, you know, at that point in the game, it's just, I mean, it's unbelievable. Okay. Um. What I'm about to say is harsh, but it's true. Clay Matthews needs to wise up. The NFL has made it very clear: if you land on a quarterback and he's not holding the football, that is roughing the passer. The NFL, whether you agree with the rule or not, the NFL has said you cannot land on your body. You cannot land with your body weight on the quarterback if he does not have the football in his hands. If a quarterback throws the ball, do not land on him. Guess what Clay Matthews did? Clay Matthews landed on Kirk Cousins after he'd thrown the football. Kirk Cousins was not holding the football and Clay Matthews was laying on him. I have to constantly deal with dumb rules in college. It's a frustrating thing to me. Once upon a time, I almost failed a class because I <laughs> I kept skipping a class. And I want to explain to you the circumstance. There was no reason to go. I'm a really busy guy. I have four jobs, try to do my show. And I only showed up for the tests. I was killing in the class, had a great grade. I followed along online. He put all the PowerPoints online. There was no reason for me to go to class. Professor didn't care. Professor said, there's a rule. You have to be in class if you want to pass. And so I had to change my behavior and start going to class. And it was really dumb, a frustrating waste of time, but it didn't matter. I had to follow the rule because that was the rule. I had to adapt to the rule. Life is full of really silly rules you may not agree with, but it doesn't matter. You have to conform to the rules. Clay Matthews is not going to single-handedly get the NFL to change their rule for roughing the passer. He can try, but the likelihood of that working is very, very little, very, very low. When Clay Matthews says, "I don't know what else to do." I can tell you what you have to do. You can't land on a quarterback if they're not holding the football, Clay. It's very simple. And then Clay Matthews made it even worse. He said, "How can you make that call in that moment?" He's talking about how the moment was so big at the end of the game. How could you call roughing the passer there? And you could really counter that argument by saying, "Clay Matthews, how could you land on a quarterback in a big moment like that? You got to be smarter." Whether you agree with the rule or not, you have to conform to the rule. I'm not saying I like it, but you can't land on a quarterback while they're not holding the football with your body weight. It's not allowed. It's roughing the passer. Whether you like the rule, whether you don't, I don't even know if I like the rule. It's harsh, but it's true. You have to conform. You have to follow the rule or else you're going to get penalized. And two weeks in a row now, Clay Matthews has been penalized for roughing the passer. And it's very simple. Again, you cannot land on a quarterback after they've thrown the football. The football isn't in their hand. Your body weight cannot land on the quarterback. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, I want to talk about the Josh Gordon trade. I'm going to discuss, um, you know, the Patriots got Josh Gordon. We'll discuss that trade in a minute. I want to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo, how he played week two against the Lions. I'm going to talk about Blake Bortles. And later in the show, I'm going to discuss should Ryan Fitzpatrick become the tampa bay buccaneers starting quarterback remember you can subscribe to strong opinion sports on itunes on soundcloud and on youtube you can find the full entire hour-long podcast on youtube as well as my best most interesting clips if you like strong opinion sports as much as i do in fact if you want really good guests on the show if you want me to stream the show on twitch help me grow by telling your friends about it on facebook twitter instagram or whatever it is help me grow the show by telling your friends about it my name is zach schaumler i will be right back all right, we are back. Um, I really believe the Dolphins are a playoff team. Right now, the Patriots are vulnerable. The Bills are terrible. The Jets have a rookie quarterback, Sam Darnold, who's still learning. I mean, and the Bills are starting a rookie quarterback, but Josh Allen's nowhere near ready to play. Sam Darnold can win some games, but he's still developing as well. Basically, the AFC wildcard spot is open for grabs. There's two wildcard spots in the AFC. I think it's very, very likely the Dolphins could nab one of them, if not win their division. I really, really like what the Dolphins are doing right now. Um, it's interesting. For example, who knows what's going to happen in the AFC North? Now the Steelers look like a mess. The Browns are 0-1-1. Uh, I don't trust the Bengals. The Ravens are iffy. The Dolphins are 2-0. And since 1990, 62% of the teams that start 2-0 make the playoffs. I like the Dolphins. I love their offensive line. I like their defense, but the key to the Dolphins' success right now, the Dolphins are 2-0. They beat the Titans last week. They just beat the Jets, convincingly. Um, The key to the Dolphins' success right now is Ryan Tannehill. Again, love their defense. Love their offensive line. I think Adam Gase is a good, solid head coach, but Ryan Tannehill is the difference right now for the Miami Dolphins. He's not flashy. Doesn't have a huge arm. Doesn't say a lot to the media. Kind of boring. Not overwhelming talent. You can say all you want about how Ryan Tanhill is not, ooh, he's not Peyton Manning. But right now, Ryan Tanhill is making really, really good decisions. And that is what matters at the quarterback position in 2018. His arm strength isn't unbelievable. Say whatever you want, but he's making really good decisions with the football. Right now, the Dolphins are a playoff team. Right now, the Dolphins have the four things you need to win games in the NFL. They have a defense that looks really good, a very good offensive line. They now have a quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, and a solid head coach, Adam Gase. I'm calling my shot right now. I love what the Dolphins are doing. They looked really good against the Jets yesterday. But again, the key is Ryan Tannehill is playing really well. Do not undervalue him. Do not underestimate him. I know he's not flashy. I know he's not big. I know he's kind of boring. Ryan Tannehill right now is playing incredibly good football, making really good decisions with the ball. He, don't underestimate him. He could be the reason why the Dolphins would make the playoffs down the road. I'm calling my shot. I very strongly believe the Dolphins are a playoff team. Now, the Browns. The Browns did an interesting thing today. Um, the Browns did something that I am torn up about. I'm kind of—it's it's a hard story to talk about. Let's talk about it right now. The Browns traded their wide receiver, Josh Gordon, to the Patriots for a fifth-round pick. And it's a weird move. It's one that <sighs> I want Josh Gordon to be successful. I'm a fan of Josh Gordon. that's that's really where I should go with this i'm I'm not a journalist. I say what I believe. I use evidence to try to explain why I believe what I believe, but I'm not a journalist at all. I just say my opinion. And in my opinion, Josh Gordon has a drug problem. I'm not comfortable saying the word addict. i don't I don't know that that's responsible, but It's something like that. Josh Gordon has an issue with drugs, has a substance abuse problem. That is my opinion. I'm not a journalist. I'm not breaking a story. That's my opinion of the Josh Gordon situation. Here's the evidence. Josh Gordon has been suspended in the past for a failed drug test. He failed a drug test in college. He did it in the NFL. He was suspended for a DUI arrest. And even on a LeBron James, LeBron James has a production company called Uninterrupted. On a short documentary that Uninterrupted made about Josh Gordon, Josh Gordon admitted to having a substance abuse problem. Talked about codeine, talked about cocaine, alcohol, marijuana. Said he used all of them. And I know that Josh Gordon spent time in rehab. Again, he struggled. He was in trouble in college. I've been around addicts before. I volunteered at a recovery care center growing up. It's personal for me. It's, it's not personal in like a... And it's an emotional thing for me. I feel sad when guys are addicts. I feel sad when people struggle with drugs. I've seen it, the negative side of it a lot. And it, it's, 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 hard, it's hard, man. When a guy you care about relapses or fails or has a problem, it's really, really sad. I'm, I'm rooting for Josh Gordon. And Josh Gordon's unbelievably talented. There's a reason why Josh Gordon continually is getting opportunities in the NFL. It's because he's just so good. He's too good to let walk away. But Josh Gordon is not just a football player. He's a human being. And that is why the New England Patriots are a really good spot for Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon is a much better fit in Foxborough, Massachusetts, which is about an hour if there's traffic from Boston, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Some of the options for Josh Gordon I heard thrown around were like, is he going to go to the San Francisco 49ers? Is he going to go to the New York Jets? And San Francisco, New York, those would have been bad spots for Josh Gordon to land. Big cities, lots of distractions, lots of opportunities for Josh Gordon to get in trouble. Now, the Patriots are a really good spot. I think, and I hope, I hope Bill Belichick can have some influence and help Josh Gordon out. Not the football player, but the human, because I've watched interviews with Josh Gordon He's honest, he's authentic, he's, he's real. I love Josh Gordon. And Again, aside from football player, good guy, seems like a good guy, he's like a genuine person who is open about his struggles. Go watch that un- uninterrupted piece. I'll tag it below. It's like, oh, it's refreshing. But Josh Gordon needs to get his life on track. If he's going to do anything on a football field, he needs to figure things out at home, off the field, in his personal life. I, I really hope Josh Gordon can get help. People forget, you know, Randy Moss had issues. Randy Moss had many issues. And he went to the Vikings and got help and figured it out. And Chris Carter, who mentored Randy Moss. Chris Carter had issues with I think drugs even with the Eagles. I might, I don't know. I think that's what happened. I know that Chris Carter had troubles in the NFL. He went to the Vikings, got help, got things figured out. I hope Josh Gordon is another success story like that. A receiver who was troubled, who had issues... And got help and figured it out. Because Josh Gordon is such a talented person. He also seems like a good guy. I don't know. Now why did the Browns get rid of Josh Gordon? Because it seems like, clearly to me, if the Browns are so eager to get rid of him. Because Josh Gordon had a touchdown week one against the Steelers. He posterized the corner. He looked incredible. Clearly something happened with Josh Gordon in Cleveland. I don't know what. I know they said he was acting weird. He was injured. Wasn't going to play in week two. And instantly reported, we're going to trade Josh Gordon. I do know this. I know that Josh Gordon was in a, he spent training camp in a medical facility, whatever that means, a medical center, probably rehab. The point is this. Josh Gordon has tremendous issues, I believe, with substance abuse. My opinion, not a fact, just my opinion. But man, if Josh Gordon can figure things out, him and Tom Brady, if he can figure things out on the football field. It'd be unbelievable because he's so talented. He could be one of the best wide receivers in the entire NFL because talent-wise, he's there. He's unbelievable. But if you're rooting for Josh Gordon, you're rooting for Josh Gordon, the human, not just a football player. Because as a football player, he's only going to be successful if Josh Gordon, the human being off the field, gets the help that he needs. So I, I really hope he figures it out. I hope his move to the Patriots works out for him. I hope he gets some... I Hopefully the Patriots have a team of people ready and willing to work with him. But Josh Gordon needs to figure things out off the field in order for him to be successful on the field. Speaking of the Patriots, the Jaguars beat the Patriots yesterday 31-20. to And I am so, so happy to tell you the reason why the Jaguars beat Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the Patriots is because of the Jaguars' quarterback... Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles delivered. I'm so excited. I'm so happy because I, all offseason, have been talking about Blake Bortles needs to step up. I said Blake Bortles needs to play better in order for the Jaguars to win. Here's what's so cool about the Patriots-Jaguars game. The Patriots took away the Jaguars running game. Jaguars running backs combined for 67 yards rushing. That is meager and awful for the Jaguars historically. In the past, without a running game, the Jaguars have not been able to win football games. They need Blake Bortles to use play action. They can't really rely on him. It was the opposite yesterday. On Sunday, Blake Bortles carried the Jaguars to a victory. It was so cool. It was fun to watch. It was exciting. Blake Bortles against the Patriots. It was 29 for 45, 377 yards passing, four touchdowns, and an interception. I was so happy. I just, I just was so, so happy because I know the Jaguars fans don't like me because I'm honest. I say what I believe, and <laughs> I've been wanting this for Blake Bortles for so long. He finally delivered. He finally won a game with his arm. It's awesome. Just awesome. Obviously, the Jaguars defense played a big part in beating the Patriots. No doubt, the Jaguars defense is fantastic. They they limited Tom Brady to 20 points. That's a pretty good performance. But the reason why the Jaguars won, I repeat, was Blake Bortles. He completed 64% of his passes. He played at a high level. He made it happen. Here's the thing, man. If Blake Bortles keeps it up, if Blake Bortles keeps playing like he did on Sunday, they're not only a team that could win their division. The Jaguars could be a Super Bowl team. Because we know the Jaguars have a great defense. They have a really good offensive line. I like their head coach, Doug Marone. The question has been, is Blake Bortles good enough to carry this team with his arm. Yesterday he was, and that is so cool because, again, the four things you need. You need defense, you need the offensive line, you need a coach, and you need a good quarterback to win games and win a Super Bowl in the NFL. And thankfully, it looks like Blake Bortles is figuring things out. Now, the reason why it was so exciting wasn't just that Blake Bortles looked confident. Blake Bortles looked comfortable, he looked great. But the Jaguars' play calling showed that they had confidence and believed in Blake Bortles. Uh, I just, I I can't repeat how excited I am because I've been waiting for this for so long. I just been wanting the Jaguars because it's, the Jaguars roster's too good. They're too talented to be limited by a bad quarterback. And so if Blake Bortles really does improve and keep stepping up, awesome. Oh yes, it'd be great. Now here's what's interesting. I've talked about this before. In year four or five in your career, quarterbacks often pop. They take a big jump up statistically. It's year five for Blake Bortles it looks like he's on track to take a big, make a big jump statistically. That's great. That's exciting. That's cool. I said Blake Bortles needed to play like Kirk Cousins all year. If Blake Bortles' stats can match Kirk Cousins' regular seasons, like consistent seasons, then the Jaguars will be highly successful. And right now, his stats are on track to match something like Kirk Cousins. It's great. This this is a huge deal if you're a fan of football, because the Jaguars go from a team that might make the playoffs to a Super Bowl contender if Blake Bortles keeps playing at a high level. It's so exciting. It's so cool. And, uh, man, I just hope Blake Bortles keeps it up. I, for the record, I'm not impartial at all. I'm totally biased. I'm rooting for Blake Bortles. I want him to be successful because I've watched him get so much hate for years. I've been a guy critical of Blake Bortles, and I don't like it. I want him to be su- People don't realize I root for guys to be successful. I root for good quarterback play. I root for guys to make it happen. And when I see something happen like Blake Bortles dominating the Patriots on Sunday, it just makes me so excited and so happy. So um, I'm happy to tell you, Blake Bortles looked really good. And he looked like a guy who could carry the Jaguars to a Super Bowl the way he played on Sunday. He might not keep it up. We'll find out. But I, I hope he does. I really, really hope he does. How about Jimmy Garoppolo? Let's talk about Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers quarterback and his performance against the Detroit Lions. So Jimmy Garoppolo's official stat line on Sunday pegged him at 18 for 26, 206 yards passing, two touchdowns, and officially he had no interceptions. Now, he did throw an interception at the end of the game, um, and it would have given the Lions the ball first and goal on the four-yard line. Thankfully for Jimmy Garoppolo, um, it was called back. But that play really left a bad taste in my mouth. And, um... You know, it really it kind of ruined a game I was very much enjoying watching. That interception was really, really ugly for Jimmy Garoppolo. He didn't try to move the defender with his eyes. He kind of locked into one side of the field, stared down his guy, threw a really bad interception. It, it's hard to balance here because you got to realize Jimmy Garoppolo was sacked six times yesterday. And I, Jimmy Garoppolo, the reason why Jimmy Garoppolo was sacked so many times is because he was holding on to the football. He was taking sacks because he wasn't getting rid of the ball, holding on to the ball far too long. You know, four, five seconds into the play. But you don't. What you don't want him to do is you don't want him to throw the ball to avoid sacks and throw bad interceptions or bad, ugly passes. You want that balance between holding onto the ball too long, taking sacks, and throwing really bad throws into no into bad coverage. Somewhere between that, that is a balance of really good quarterback play. Right now, Jimmy Garoppolo is teetering somewhere between in that level. I uh, I don't know that I'm concerned about Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm actually, I don't know. I don't know how to put this. I, I want good from Jimmy Garoppolo, and he's playing really well. He's not playing bad. He just has a lot of things he needs to clean up. I think what 49er fans are learning about Jimmy Garoppolo is that He's still growing as a quarterback. He's not bad at all. He just has a lot of room to improve and a lot of things he needs to improve um, in order for the 49ers to make a playoff push and really do a lot in the future. Now, I personally have nothing but faith. I think all of the mistakes Jimmy Garoppolo is making are completely fixable, but they do need to be fixed. Now, the, my favorite thing he said in the last two weeks is Jimmy Garoppolo really, really struggled week one against the Vikings. He had three interceptions, completely ugly. And all he said after the game all week was, we're on to Detroit. He said, forget week one, we're moving on to the Detroit Lions. That's great. And the good news is if you're a 49er fan, the 49ers roster is rebuilding anyway, so you don't need, you shouldn't expect a lot from Jimmy Garoppolo. You don't need a lot from Jimmy Garoppolo because they're still getting better. But I really hope 49ers fans shift their expectations. I said all along, the 49ers are probably a 9-17, and that, that's what they look like right now. They look like a team that's just going to miss the playoffs. They're going to make a lot of weird mistakes and have some issues, but also have really good moments. That's how the 49ers have played all year so far, and I think they're going to keep it up. This year is all about growing and learning and building for the 49ers. Now, I, I love watching their offense. I think it's great. Bunch of really creative play calls. Matt is running really well. He had 136 yards against the Lions. might have been 138. I might have wrote it wrong just now. But regardless... Um, what was interesting is the way the Lions linebackers were taking away underneath routes from Jimmy Garoppolo. And that's why Jimmy Garoppolo was sacked six times is because all his checkdowns, all his underneath routes were completely w- covered by the, Jaguar- by the Lions linebackers. And uh, taking six sacks is not good. So the reason why I've said this before, Jimmy Garoppolo was sacked so many times is because he was holding onto the ball too long. Now, while that's concerning, you want the guy to get rid of the ball on time, have a better clock in your head. It is worth noting that at the very least, at least he's staying in the pocket. He could be, some rookie quarterbacks, for example, the minute there's any pressure, they just run out of the pocket and make they compound a mistake and make it worse. At least Jimmy Garoppolo's moving around in the pocket, he's sliding around like a veteran quarterback does. He's doing what Tom Brady does, what Drew Brees does, what Eli Manning does. Really, really good high-level quarterbacks Move around within the pocket, within like a five-yard radius, rather than the minute there's any pressure, just running away. Jimmy Garoppolo's not running away; he's moving in the pocket, sliding around. That's really good. Now the next thing he needs to do is get rid of the ball. <laughs> instead of taking a sack, instead of holding the ball for five, six seconds, he needs to now throw the ball somewhere, pick a spot, throw it away, throw it to guy's feet, throw it to your uh, your checkdown, something. And there were times last uh, yesterday on Sunday where. There simply wasn't a check down for Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know if it was missed protections. I don't know if the running back screwed up. But especially there was a first and goal from the I think the 11-yard, eight-yard line, something like that. And only two wide receivers went out for routes. It was play action. Only two receivers were options for Jimmy Garoppolo. Nothing was open. He didn't have a check down option. And I just was like, hmm, is the coach going to tell him, does Kyle Shanahan tomorrow and today tell him, throw the ball at the back of the end zone? What, what, what's going to happen there? I don't know. I'm really curious to see what the 49ers do in the future, because there were times where Jimmy Garoppolo simply had nowhere to go with the ball and didn't even have a check down to throw to. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do believe that everything Jimmy Garoppolo is struggling with is a fixable mistake. It's very simple, very fixable issues. Now, one thing that's interesting is Jimmy Garoppolo's inaccuracy often comes from his footwork. He gets kind of lazy with his legs. He doesn't use his legs all the time when he throws and that's when Jimmy Garoppolo throws bad, inaccurate passes. He'll throw a ball high on a slant. He'll throw a ball inside on a short, or short out like he did on the interception against the Lions last night. Every problem Jimmy Garoppolo has is very highly fixable. Get rid of the ball quicker. Don't hold on to it. Fix your feet. Use your legs. Little things like that, all fixable and all very encouraging if you're a 49er fan But they do need to be fixed. In order for the 49ers to make a deep playoff run, maybe win a Super Bowl a year or two years from now, Jimmy Garoppolo needs to clean up the way he's playing. You know this. I know this. We all know this. But the good news is everything Jimmy Garoppolo is doing is very, very much a fixable mistake. Okay, um, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, I want to discuss maybe my favorite story in a long, long time. It's... A Bills player retiring at halftime. It's, it's almost like a joke. It's great. I'm excited to dive into that. I'm going to talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, should Ryan Fitzpatrick be the starting quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? We're going to talk about Baker Mayfield. He got into a bit of a spat on Twitter. Um, I think it's unbecoming of a, either a backup quarterback or a starting quarterback in the NFL. You can't do what Baker Mayfield did on Twitter yesterday. And um, At the end of the show, we're going to talk about Monday Night Football you probably are honestly listening to this after Monday Night Football, but well, that's okay. I'll make a very brief prediction, and I'm for the sake of the show, listen to what I have to say. It'll be very brief, and then you can know, am I right, am I wrong? Regardless of whether you've already, Monday Night Football's already happened, I'm just curious if I'm in it, my prediction is going to be right. So remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like strong opinion sports as much as I do, if you want better guests, if you want the show to stream on Twitch, help me grow by telling your friends about the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is, help me grow by telling your friends about this show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, on Sunday, the Chargers led the Bills 28 to 6 at halftime. Now, this is one of the weirdest stories I have ever, ever heard. It's, it's kind of interesting. It's really actually quite funny. At halftime of the Bills-Chargers game, Bills cornerback Vontae Davis retired. He gave it up, hung up the cleats, said, I'm done with football. And first of all, the reason why I love this story, one of them is because of the opportunities for jokes. I will always be able to say for the rest of my life, the 2018 Buffalo Bills were so bad, they had a player retire at halftime. (laughs) For me, that's comical, that's funny. But jokes aside, um... This has been a pretty controversial topic. A lot of people feel very strongly one way or the other. Um, actually, Bill's linebacker, Lorenzo Alexander, said he'd never seen anything like that in his entire life and said it was extremely disrespectful for Vontae Davis to retire in the middle of a game. He said disrespectful to his teammates, the Bills, and the Bills fans. Um, I, I disagree with Lorenzo Alexander, but I do understand why he felt that way. The Bills linebacker felt abandoned. One of his teammates bailed on him. I get that. I totally understand that. Now, after the game, Vontae Davis released a statement. I'm going to read it to you guys. It's long, but it gives you context. I think it's really important to hear what happened. So Vontae Davis, in his statement, said this. This isn't how I pictured retiring from the NFL. But in my 10th NFL season, I've been doing what my body has been programmed to do. Get ready to play on game day. I've endured multiple surgeries and played through many different injuries throughout my career, and over the last few weeks, this was the latest physical challenge. But today on the field really hit me fast and hard. I shouldn't be out there anymore. I mean no disrespect, I meant no disrespect to my teammates and coaches, but I hold myself to a standard. Mentally, I always expect myself to play at a high level, but physically, I know today that isn't possible. And I had an honest moment with myself while I was on the field. I just didn't feel right. And I told the coaches, I'm not feeling like myself. I also wonder, do I want to keep sacrificing? And truthfully, I do not because the season is long and it's more important for me and my family to walk away, to be healthy than willing to embrace the warrior mentality and limp away too late. This was an overwhelming decision. He continues, but I'm at peace with myself and my family. I chose to be grateful to God for allowing me to play the game that I've loved as a boy until I turned 30 years old. I choose to be grateful to God for being a part of the NFL and making lifelong friends over the past decade. There were roadblocks and pitfalls along the way, but I'm grateful to God for all of it because he doesn't promise any of us an easy journey. Lastly, I'm grateful to God for what he is in store for me ahead in the the next chapter of my life. It's a tough read. It's long. But basically, Vontae Davis made a couple points. He said... I I did not mean any disrespect, but I realized I was done. It was time for me to hang it up. And then he says, injuries did play a part. Look, if I go out in the second half and I get wrecked and get injured, it's not worth it. And this is why I want to support Vontae Davis. I think Vontae Davis did the right thing. Because one of the worst things you can do in life is waste someone else's time. A girl broke up with me this summer and it hurt. It sucked. It sucked. I felt abandoned. It was awful. It really stunk. It it made me feel bad. But looking back, it would have been so much worse if that girl, instead of breaking up with me, had gone on for months and just went through the motions, just totally, totally went through the motions. Didn't, didn't really care. Vontae Davis's heart wasn't in it. He's done with football and he would not have been helpful to the Buffalo Bills in the second half of that game. In fact, he would have been detrimental. It would have been worse. And again, injuries do play a part. What if he decides at halftime, I'm going to retire when this game is over? Middle of the third quarter, breaks his leg or gets paralyzed. He's done for his life. He can't walk ever again after he checked out emotionally. That would be awful. Again, and even if he plays, all, he plays safe, he, he doesn't get hurt. Maybe he's just really careful and doesn't play all out. And the Bills lose even worse because he's not ready. The point is this. I respect Vontae Davis for knowing when it's time to walk away. You might hate that, you might not. But Vontae Davis didn't waste anybody's time, didn't go through the motions. He said, it's time, I'm done, let's, call the, let's cut the cord. Next man up. Let's find someone else who's going to give 110% and give full effort because I'm, I'm not there. And I, I respect Vontae Davis for knowing his limit and knowing when to walk away. It's really hard. Not a lot of people do. I understand why his, his teammates would have felt abandoned, but that's the right thing to do. Vontae Davis didn't waste anybody's time, and I I admire and respect him for making a tough call. People don't realize it's not easy to walk away from something, especially something you put so much work into. He's 30 years old. He's been in the NFL for years. And so I get why people are mad. I get why people are really critical of Vontae Davis. I think it's kind of funny, actually, but on a serious note, I understand why Vontae Davis walked away, and I respect it. Uh, On Sunday, kickers were atrocious there were 12 field goals missed there were seven extra points missed field goal kickers were just kickers in general in the nfl were really really horrible on sunday now two kickers were worse than everybody else in the league in fact one of them got fired today the vikings kicker daniel carson is a rookie and he played like one he was awful he was over three uh including he missed two field goals in overtime both would have won the game for the vikings he didn't make it happen now, the Browns kicker, Zane Gonzalez, might have been even worse. Um, in fact, guys, I heard today on tw- around the league and around everywhere, people were calling him Zane Gonzalez because he's gone. He's no longer with the Browns because um, he's likely to get cut. I don't know if he's been cut today. I haven't been following that story very closely. But I do you know this. Zane Gonzalez was 2 for 4 on field goals, missed both of his extra points. And uh, here's where it gets worse. Situationally, it was terrible. The Browns scored with two minutes left, made it 18-18 to 18 to tie the Saints— And then Zane Gonzalez mixed the extra point, which would have put the Browns ahead. Then the Saints kick a field goal. And with seconds left, the Browns got another opportunity. One to tie the game, send the game to overtime. Zane Gonzalez missed a field goal as well. He just missed and missed and missed. And I'm watching the games on Sunday going, man, how could this happen? What is happening? (laughs) How did the Browns and Vikings, how do neither of them have a kicker that can make anything? It was horrible. And then my next question was, why isn't Dan Bailey playing in the NFL? Dan Bailey is a longtime kicker for the Dallas Cowboys. And in fact, earlier today, he was signed by the Vikings. They cut Daniel Carson. The Vikings have now signed Dan Bailey, the former Vikings kicker. This is great. Finally, the Vikings' biggest weakness was their kicker. I don't know who, whose idea it was to have a rookie kicker. In fact, I don't understand why, why. There are so many rookie kickers last two years with jobs. Why? Did everyone just walk away and retire all at once? I don't think so. It's pretty weird to me. Um, but Dan Bailey is definitely an upgrade. The reason why the Cowboys released him is because in the last three years, he's had a very steady decline. Three years ago he kicked, he made ninety three percent of his kicks. Two years ago, he made eighty four percent of his kicks, and last year made seventy five percent of his field goals. It's a big leap. It's a big drop from ninety three to seventy five. But still, regardless, Dan Bailey' is an eighty eight percent field goal kicker all time. I think he's second all time among all field goal kickers. And uh, he never missed an extra point until last year. The point is this. The Vikings just upgraded a kicker. This is huge. The biggest reason why the Vikings lost to the Packers yesterday is because their kicking game was not good enough. Congratulations. Good job to the Vikings. They signed Dan Bailey, the kicker from the Vi- uh, from the Cowboys, and that's a really, really good move. The Vikings just got better. Okay, we really need to talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, the Buccaneers' guess, backup quarterback, question mark. Is he the starting quarterback? Ryan Fitzpatrick is an anomaly. Ryan Fitzpatrick had five touchdowns week one against the Saints. And that was one thing. That was fine. The Saints defense apparently sucks. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. But it was even weirder this week because Ryan Fitzpatrick just dominated the Eagles defense, which made no sense. Remember Matt Ryan, the same defense Matt Ryan struggled against week one. Matt Ryan couldn't get anything going against Eagles defense week one. Yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick, the backup quarterback for the Buccaneers, dominated that defense as well. It's just weird. It's just really, really weird. Ryan Fitzpatrick is 27 for 33 passing at 402 yards, throwing four touchdowns, one interception. And in two games, the guy has nine touchdowns. He's thrown for eight, run for one. And I just, I sit at home going, what do the Buccaneers do? Because Ryan Fitzpatrick is 35 years old. You can't commit to him as your franchise quarterback. But he's also playing out of his mind. He's playing unbelievable. Right now, if you vote for MVP, Ryan Fitzpatrick or either Ryan Fitzpatrick or Patrick Mahomes, one of those two right now would be voted MVP of the NFL. And that's so weird to me. And here's the kicker. If Ryan Fitzpatrick does it again in week three, the Buccaneers are going to have a really tough decision to make. And it's very likely that they will. The Buccaneers are going to play the Steelers, who are giving up the 24th most yards in the entire NFL. Their defense is ranked 24th. They're in the bottom half. The Steelers' defense is not playing well at all. Uh, meanwhile, the Buccaneers are first in total offense in the entire NFL. I see trouble coming for the Steelers on defense, and I see trouble coming for the Buccaneers front office because they're going to have to make a decision. Should we keep Ryan Fitzpatrick, commit to him as our starting quarterback for the year? Or remember, Jameis Winston's coming back in week four from a suspension. I don't know what's going to happen. Here's my opinion. I think the Buccaneers should only commit to Ryan Fitzpatrick if they believe he gives them a shot to win a Super Bowl he's 35 and that's a big problem he's not a long-term investment it's like falling in love on a vacation there's just no future there it's there's it's futile it's going to end at some point but what's even weirder is if you're the Buccaneers what do you do with James Winston you're paying him a ton of money he's on under contract he's also shown a extreme immaturity struggled at times as a starter and yeah this quarterback just dominating it's very very weird it's a weird situation And I I think the best-case scenario for the Buccaneers with Ryan Fitzpatrick is this. Best-case scenario, you start him all year, you draft a quarterback in the first round, use Ryan Fitzpatrick again next year to start, and then mentor that guy. But we don't even know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to keep it up. He's playing out of his mind. He has nine touchdowns right now. That's unheard of. So I don't know what to do. And I have no idea what the Buccaneers should do. But I do know that there's no way I could know because I'm not in the locker room. It, It appears to me like Ryan Fitzpatrick, has won over the Buccaneers locker room. If that is indeed true, he should be their starting quarterback. He should be the starting quarterback until he, I don't know, completely fails. I have no idea. But I do know that if the Buccaneers locker room is behind Ryan Fitzpatrick, if he's the guy they want, they should go with him because he looks good. He's playing well. Um, There's a lot of tension with Jameis Winston because, remember, Jameis Winston got in trouble again for an incident related to women, and a lot of players did not respond well to that. So, I I, I don't know what to make of this whole Ryan Fitzpatrick situation. Frankly, I'm just curious to see what happens. Um, I I don't know. Maybe, maybe, here's the thing. If Ryan Fitzpatrick totally bombs in week three, decision made. You go back to Jameis Winston. But I don't think he's going to struggle. I think he's going to do really well against the Steelers. Because the Steelers' defense isn't very good. And apparently the Buccaneers' offense is unbelievable. So... It's just going to be a really interesting, interesting decision coming up for the Buccaneers. Now, the last thing I want to say about Ryan Fitzpatrick: Look at this. This is a. I'm going to put up a picture of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, he dressed up as Conor McGregor after the game, and it just makes me laugh. I just love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, good for Ryan. Whatever that dude is doing, it's absurd. It's ridiculous, but he's having so much fun, and uh, it's just really cool to see Ryan Fitzpatrick doing well, enjoying life, just having fun. So, um, it's weird. I don't know what I would do if I was the Buccaneers, um, but personally, I would be very, very hesitant to commit to Ryan Fitzpatrick as my franchise quarterback because he's 35, and you're just not going to have much of a future with him uh, as your quarterback. Okay, we have two things left I want to talk about. Um, I'm hanging with a buddy yesterday. I'm hanging with a buddy yesterday, and he showed me something that popped up on Twitter. I don't have Twitter. I'm not, I mean, I am on. I have a Twitter, but I don't go on Twitter. I deleted it off my phone even. I just don't go on um, but I told my friend, oh, that's funny. Screenshot that, send it to me. And here's what he sent me. My buddy sent me a tweet uh, from Matt Miller. Matt Miller, I believe is a guy who works for Bleacher Report. Matt Miller tweeted this. He said, I tweet an area scout. Does watching Kyler Murray make you wonder how much of Baker's success in college was coaching? And the reply he said, he's the re- reply he got, I'm going to censor, was, oh, I'd be freaking out right now. Now, Baker Mayfield felt the need to reply to this tweet because it made him look bad, it said all. It basically, this tweet said all of Baker Mayfield's success in college was because of the system and because of the coaching he got. So Baker Mayfield replied with this: Lincoln Riley, the Sooners head coach, he says Lincoln is the best coach in the country. But you're ignorant if you think Kyler isn't talented. Pure ignorance. Not your first take that shows your lack of actual knowledge. This is not smart, and I don't like this. I do not like. Baker Mayfield retaliating and responding to a guy from Bleacher report on Twitter. First of all, you're a backup. Baker Mayfield needs to know his place. He's a backup quarterback. You know what I loved was this offseason we heard that Ryan excuse me, Patrick Mahomes, who was the backup all year last year in Kansas City, turned down endorsement deals because he didn't want to make a bunch of noise. Patrick Mahomes waited to have the spotlight until he was the starter. I like that. He didn't make any noise. He kept his head down, turned down endorsements. He said, I'm the backup. I don't want to be a distraction. I understand. I totally understand Baker Mayfield's desire to, A, he wants to defend himself, and B, he wants to say something nice and support Kyler Murray. But don't. Don't go there. Don't reply to this tweet at all. I I, I think Twitter's toxic. I say off. But Baker Mayfield did not make a good decision here. Uh. Uh, here's what Baker should have done. He should have tweeted, "Kyler Murray's incredibly talented," and tweeted out a picture of the two of them, buddy buddy, hand around each other. That would have been smart. But you cannot respond to criticism like that on Twitter. It's not you can't do that. Not you can't do that if you're a franchise quarterback in the NFL. And Baker Mayfield is showing, Ugh, that's your immaturity showing, dude. You can't do that. Because Baker Mayfield's going to get criticized all. The time. If he achieves any of his goals, if he ever becomes the Browns' starting quarterback, constantly people are going to tweet about him, tweet negative things about him, tweet things criticizing him and his abilities. What Baker Mayfield needs to do is have patience. Play the long game. If this guy's wrong about you, prove it on the field. Don't make any noise. Talking makes no difference. Because either way, you're going to either succeed on the field or you're not. So just shut up, don't reply to the tweet, and do the best you can. If you earn the Brown starting job and you do, or you're do, really successful, guess who's wrong? Prove Matt wrong. Prove that guy wrong. I think his name's Matt Miller. That's what Baker Mayfield should do. But quarterback in 2018, playing quarterback in 2018 is all about making good decisions. This Twitter encounter for Baker Mayfield was a bad decision. Like I know that Drew Brees just said some nice stuff about Baker. Drew Brees, I think, said... That Baker Mayfield could be even better than he was. He is. Um, And now, first of all, of course, Drew Brees would say that. He kind of has to. He's not going to say anything negative about Baker Mayfield. So the nice thing to say is, yeah, this guy's really good, of course. What Baker needs to realize is he's a number one overall pick. He's already an incredible distraction in Cleveland. The more noise that Baker makes, the more of a distraction he is to the Browns. And the Browns are trying to win games. They can't be worried about their backup quarterback. Don't fire back to anybody on Twitter. Play the long game. That's what Baker Mayfield needs to do. Prove that guy wrong with your play on the field. Also, there's one thing he says at the end. he goes, this is not this is yes. not your first take. It shows your actual lack of knowledge. I don't like Baker Mayfield criticizing someone for having a wrong opinion, for being wrong about something. Maybe ba- maybe he's wrong about Baker Mayfield. that's fine. But that's how the industry of opinions works. You make a bunch of predictions. You say a bunch of stuff. A lot of it's wrong. Like 70, 30%, 60, 40, something like that. 60% of the time, you're right. 40% of the time, you're wrong. It happens. You got to take risks. And Baker Mayfield needs to get used to being criticized. He needs to get used to people saying negative things about him. You can't respond to every troll on Twitter. Because again, if he ever does anything in the NFL, in fact, it's going to be worse if he doesn't succeed. Baker Mayfield needs to realize He's going to get constantly criticized for every little move he makes, including this tweet. You can't respond to trolls on Twitter. Just a bad, bad move from Baker Mayfield. Okay. Uh, Last night I was watching Carson Palmer, a football Life, And, uh, you know, Carson Palmer talked about his frustrations not getting any help from the Bengals' ownership. He wanted certain things. They didn't give it to him. And Carson Palmer was not supported by the Browns organization, by the Cincinnati Bengals organization. A similar thing is happening with Russell Wilson, the Seahawks quarterback, and the Seahawks organization. The Seahawks are not supporting Russell Wilson like they should. Tonight on Monday Night Football, the Seahawks are playing the Bears. And that lack of support for Russell Wilson is really going to show. The Bears have a really good coach. I I, I believe in their coach. They have a great defense, they have a great offensive line, and it looks like they might have their quarterback. But regardless, they have three of the four things you need, they might have the fourth. All the Seahawks have is a good coach and a good quarterback. They have a bad defense and a bad offensive line. I think it's very likely the Seahawks get destroyed tonight. Remember, the Seahawks do not support Russell Wilson with a good offensive line. It will show tonight on Monday Night Football between the Seahawks and the Bears. It's going to be ugly. The Bears are going to win it, and I think it's going to be really, really ugly for Russell Wilson. He's going to be running for his life. I'm picking the Bears to win, and it's not going to be pretty. The Bears are going to annihilate Russell Wilson. I feel bad. He's going to get hit really hard by Khalil Mack a lot, and it's going to be really, really ugly. Guys, that's all I have for the show today. Um, I uh, Wednesday is going to be fun. I, I almost, I basically have Wednesday already prepared, ready to go. On Wednesday, I'm going to do my Deadly Dozen, which is, remember, the six NFL teams from the West, from the AFC, the six NFL teams from the NFC. I'm going to predict all 12 playoff spots in the NFL. I do it every week. It's Instead of doing a power ranking or top 10, how about these 12 teams look like they're going to make the playoffs? That's what I do. It's my Deadly Dozen. On Wednesday, I'm going to do Zach as a Genius, which is uh, my biggest hits and misses from the last seven days. I get some stuff I totally miss on some things, and it's really fun to point out my stupidity. I make fun of myself. It's really good. And on Wednesday, we're going to talk about college quarterbacks. I'm going to rank them after three weeks of college football. Uh, I do it every week. I dive into what quarterbacks look NFL ready after this week. And we have some really good stuff to talk about. Um, Right now, Colorado's quarterback, Steven Montez, is completely underrated. I'm excited to talk about him. So that is the stuff coming ahead on Wednesday. I'll give you a Thursday night football preview. And uh, I, I just and we'll talk about LSU-Auburn. That's the other thing. On Wednesday, we'll talk about the LSU-Auburn game from Saturday. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. If you want better guests, if you want the show on Twitch, Continue to support me, help me grow the audience, and uh, help me grow by telling your friends about the show. My name is Zach Schomler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I apologize to the guys next door. Everyone in the hallway probably hates me. I, I I'm doing my best. I, uh, I appreciate you guys listening. It means a lot. It's my favorite thing in the world. Have a great day. But bum bam, we are done. Bye.